morning. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you. Uh, if you've got a Bible nearby, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Find it about 10% of the way into your Bible. That's where we're going to be focusing most of our time this morning. You know, every crisis comes with its own cliché. A cliché, you know? A word or a phrase that gets repeated over and over until we're sick of it. And the crisis of the coronavirus is no different. As I've been reading and watching and observing all the commentary, I've noticed one phrase recurring over and over again. Uncharted territory. Now, cliche or not, uncharted territory captures pretty accurately how most of us are feeling right now. Imagine how a refugee feels uprooted from her place of birth and upbringing and being forced through danger to enter a new land with unfamiliar customs and expectations that's distant from the community within which her identity has been shaped. We're getting a taste of that. Now we may be dealing with anxiety and disorientation for different reasons. For some of us who are mainly anxious about what life looks like now for our families, for our immunodeficient sibling, our aging parents, our newborn children. Others of us are more worried about the economics. Friends and family taking a pay cut, those of us who are partners in practices of whatever kind, fueling tons of resources into our practices or businesses to keep them afloat. We know others who are losing jobs, businesses here in our city relying on the unmerited generosity of well-wishers to keep their doors open. Still others are worried about the political ramifications as we watch leaders around the world seize only on those bits of information which confirm their biases. As we notice jarring discrepancies between the advice that we're receiving from political and medical leadership. So whether it's family, economics, politics, whatever, the cliche isn't wrong. In our lifetimes, this is unprecedented. We are in uncharted territory. But uncharted territory is not new to the people of God. God has led his people through uncharted territory before. Our Old Testament reading from Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives us a window into what is basically the farewell address of Moses to Israel before Israel enters the promised land. That's essentially the book of Deuteronomy. Now, remember, this generation of Israelites has grown up in the wilderness. And life's about to change. It's about to look very different for them. This new land that God is giving them comes with new challenges. And Moses, remember, can't go with them. Moses isn't entering the land. So as Israel's entering into uncharted territory, these are the words that Moses wants ringing in their ears. Here's my point. 
clearly, as Deuteronomy reminds us, the people of God have walked through uncharted territory before. God has been faithful in leading his people through uncharted territory before. The question for us is, according to the Bible, how are we to make it through? Three things. What, what we need to do, where we need to do it, how we need to do it. First, what do we do? When we wake up in uncharted territory, what do we do? We listen to the word of God. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. These verses are known by the Hebrew command that Moses uses here, Shema. Shema. Hear, O Israel. This command summarizes what Moses wants ringing in Israel's ears. Listen up. As Israel enters uncharted territory, they need to listen. And listen for what? They're listening for God's address. This is important. To be a Christian is so much more than just being different from an agnostic or a skeptic. We are not just people who say, yeah, God's out there. Christians say more. God is there and he speaks. Christianity says that at the very center of reality is a communicative creator. The truth is, we don't know what the future holds, but we know that God is there and that he is not silent. He speaks. And we know that when God speaks, he's not confused. He's not like a political leader. He's not like a pundit. The one God of Israel does not have a double mind. He does not present conflicting messages. He is one Lord. He speaks a coherent word. We glimpse this in verse 1. Did you notice how Moses uses a singular word, commandment, to sum up all the statutes and rules which God has given Israel? Moses is about to repeat all those rules and statutes. And it's going to take him from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 26. 14 chapters of rules and statutes. And all of this, he says, is a commandment. God's word is consistent. Not one of his words, not a single rule or statute deviates from another. And this truth about God, about his consistency, it shapes the way that we approach the Bible. Moses is calling Israel to listen to the whole word of God which they had hitherto received, right? We're only five books into the Bible. This is it. Well, the same principle applies to us. We must listen diligently to the whole word of God that we've received. Now, for us, this doesn't just mean the law given at Sinai, because we have, in the Old and in the New Testaments, the whole word of and just like the many rules and statutes were, in essence, a single command, so too is the Bible. Through Scripture's very human voices and textures, through its many genres and styles, its human blood and guts and sweat, the one God 
speaks a coherent word. To make it through uncharted territory, we have to listen to God's voice in Scripture. I want to drive this home to you by telling you how the German martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer put this in a letter to his brother-in-law before he died. Here's what he wrote. I want to confess quite simply that I believe the Bible alone is the answer to all our questions and that we need only to ask persistently and with some humility in order to receive the answer from it. One simply cannot read the Bible the way one reads other books. One must be prepared to really question it. Only then will it open itself up only when we await the final answer from the Bible. When we wait for it, will it be given to us? In the wilderness, this is what we must do. Patiently, searchingly, diligently listen to the word of God. Okay, but where do we do it? Where do we listen to God's word? Two things to say here. First, we listen among the gathered church. As the word is proclaimed and preached, what we're doing right now. Moses says, Shema, hear. But who's meant to be doing the hearing? Hear, O Israel. The primary recipient of the word of God is the people of God. The primary place of the word's proclamation, its reception, is the gathered church. This means that the central way the Christian listens to God is in the midst of the gathered church. What you're doing right now in, in your living room or kitchen or bedroom or wherever you are, it's you listening in the midst of the gathered church as best as you're able. Remember this in the weeks ahead on those Sunday mornings when you wake up and you ask yourself, why should I log in at all? Just to look at a screen. Remember that you are not looking at a screen. You are gathering in the midst of the church. Here, O Israel. You're here to join the church as it gathers to hear scripture read, preached, prayed, sung. You're here to be fed the promises and comforts of the word of God. Now, once we've listened to the word of God in the midst of the gathered church, it overflows into our homes, from the church gathered to the church dispersed. This is the second place that we need to listen to. Now, the most obvious way that we listen to the word of God in the midst of the dispersed church, at least here in our nation, is our small groups. Please don't use this moment to take a hiatus from your small group. We're in uncharted territory. We need to listen to God's word and we need to do that in the midst of God's people. And in the life of our church here at Incarnation, small groups are a critical manifestation of the dispersed church listening to the word of God. 
still the place where the dispersed church is found most readily, the place where it's most concentrated, is the home. And this brings us to my last point. We've seen what we need to do. Listen for God's voice in Scripture. And we've seen where we need to do it, right? In the midst of the gathered church and of the dispersed church, our small groups and in our homes. But how do we do this? And specifically, how do we do this as the dispersed church in our homes? How do we ensure we're listening to the word of God in our homes? Four simple ways. First, wield the word wisely. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them <coughs> diligently to your children. The Hebrew word here, teach diligently, it means teach incisively. The word has connotations of sharpening. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is a sword. Wield it wisely. Lots of you are now suddenly finding yourselves with unexpected time to catch up on reading. I know this because many of you have told me this this week. Why not take some of that time and ask God to show you an area of your life that you need to lay before him so that he can deal with it? Are you wrestling with fear? With anxiety? With bitterness? Are you finding that the constant screen time that you're suddenly experiencing is compromising you morally in some way? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you how he wants to do a new work in you, in your life. And then find the places in Scripture that address your need. Memorize them. Wielding the word wisely probably doesn't mean wielding it on a family member, right? It doesn't mean, <laughs> careful, it doesn't mean wielding it against your spouse or your kids. It means applying it to yourself, using this unfamiliar season as an opportunity to let the word of God do its work in you. Second, speak of the word openly. Again, verse seven. You shall talk of them, that is, these commandments, these words, when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, all the time. The point here is simple. Speak of Scripture often. Let it always be on the edge of your lips. Fill your home with it. Don't be embarrassed to use the name of Jesus when you speak to your family. One thing I've noticed about newlyweds is you can often have very keen Christians come together and be married, but it's not just enough for a, a man and a wife to, to be discipling themselves. Their relationship is a new thing. They have to disciple their relationship, and your home is like that. You have to disciple your home. Find regular times to pray with whoever you live. If you're single, 
identify a trusted friend in our church with whom you can walk through our Lenten devotional guide. Something else that will feed you and nourish you. If you want to hear God's word when you lie down and when you rise, then join Jay and me for daily morning and evening prayer starting tomorrow morning on our Facebook page. That's a simple way to do that. Look, if you're part of youth family, if you're a high school or middle school student, then please soak up the teaching that Eric and Ken are giving you guys. Parents, ask your students what they're learning. They're using these amazing videos from the Bible Project. I promise you that if your students are doing this stuff every day, they are going to learn stuff that you don't know. Ask them about it. Learn from your kids. Okay, third, trust the word of God boldly. Look at verse eight. You shall bind them as a keyword sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The word sign here is crucial. It's the same word used when God puts a mark, a sign, on Cain. It's the same word used for the rainbow that God hangs in the sky after the flood. It's the same word used for the plagues, the signs and wonders of the Exodus in Egypt. Moses is saying that the word of God does the work of God. He's identifying God's word with all God's great saving deeds in Israel's history. Point again, very simple. The word does the work. Please, please don't hear me saying this in a glib way. I know this season is very difficult for some of you. This season is an opportunity to trust more deeply in what God says. I've enjoyed seeing these Facebook posts from friends of ours in England. See, many Christians in England have started placing candles in the windows to remind people that Christ is the light of the world. Others have started drawing or painting rainbows putting rainbows up in their windows, a sign to passers-by of the trustworthiness and faithfulness of God. If you've got small kids, perhaps you could join Christians abroad in helping your family express trust in the word of God like this. Fourth and finally, obey the word of God publicly. Verse nine, you shall write these words on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now the gates described here are probably the city gates. In other words, the home is intimately tied to the city, to the civic space. As we're socially distanced from one another, We've got to find ways to remain salt and light in our city. We have to find ways from within our homes to obey the word of God publicly. There are people in our church who are vulnerable to isolation. Our widows, 
our elderly, our immunodeficient groups. It's our job to care for them. But there are also many vulnerable people in our city who have no connection to our church. And we have to discern how, corporately, we're going to connect to their needs. The Word of God overflows the gathered church into the dispersed church. It overflows from the congregation into the small group and into the home, but ultimately the Word of God is overflowing from the church into the world. We are in uncharted territory. And I cannot tell you what's going to happen. But I can tell you that God is there. And He speaks. So listen carefully. Wield His Word wisely. Speak of it openly. Trust it boldly. And obey it publicly.